You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, welcome here this morning. Uh, So glad you've joined us, Harvest family. So glad you've joined us, guests, as we worship and celebrate Jesus Christ. This is the greatest reality of history, world-changing, history-defining, life-transforming. This is the message. Jesus is alive. Exciting to say that no matter where we are or no matter what's going on in the, in the cosmos around us, in our continent, in our country, in our communities, in our churches, even our little clans, this truth never changes. Our God lives. Uh, why don't you just go uh, right now and the people beside you just to say it aloud, aloud to them. Hey, God, our God lives today. Our God lives. Why don't you even take a moment to text it to a friend that needs to hear it today or a loved one. Our God lives. This is the ultimate reality of Easter Jesus is alive. And this is the greatest declaration of all of human history. Think about this with me for a moment. For every other famous person in history, their last hurrah was their death. No matter what they accomplished, their legacy, no matter what happened in their lives, no matter how famous they they, uh, were, the last thing that was ever accomplished in this world by them was their death. The last headline about their lives that ever was, was they are dead. Only one person, the only one person in history cannot claim that. That is Jesus Christ. His last headline is in fact not that he is dead. We're not thinking about his, her, his uh, legacy, his great legacy. We're not thinking about his horrendous death. We're thinking about this. He is alive. He's the only person that can ever claim that. The last headline in this world for Jesus was, he is alive today. And his ongoing life and legacy as a son of God will go throughout all of human history. Easter Sunday, a worldwide celebration of this simple truth. So important is the truth of the resurrection that um, Pastor Adrian Rogers said this, the resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there'd be no Christianity at all. It's a single doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. Tim Keller adds to this truth by rounding out the, our understanding of the resurrection with this quote. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. This morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the one chapter in the Bible that really gives the greatest defense for the resurrection of Jesus and lays out clearly the implications for the fact that he has risen from the grave. The resurrection is the spring that feeds all other of the subsidiary streams of life. It's the, the heart of not just our Christian faith, but our lives as human beings that pumps blood to the rest of the body. Doesn't matter who you are this morning, where you're from, or what you do for a living, or how talented or intellectual you are or are not. The, the message this morning is for you and will redefine the way that you see God, the way that you live life and interact with the world on a daily basis. This is the game changer passage in the scriptures. This is the game changing truth. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read it for you in sections and we're going to talk about it. The paramount passage showing us the implications of Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. 
Now to remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel, this is the good news of God, the greatest news the world has ever seen. I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 others at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul writing, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you also believed. Here's the reality of what we're trying to get at this morning, simply this first point. Uh, Jesus Christ is, get this, in fact, alive. Jesus Christ is, in fact, truly alive. Look what it says in the text. Paul is reminding us of the good news of the gospel, that, that this is the, the message that saves us. What does it mean to be saved? Is this just a cool religious word or spiritual term? It's not. This is the reality of every one of us as human beings. We need to be saved from what? We need to be saved from our sin. The reality is, is that we are in a quick, the quicksand of sin. We are in over our heads. We are consumed by sin, unable to breathe in a spiritual sense, unable to dig ourselves out. And it takes somebody greater than us that can overcome the quicksand to get us out. And here's the reality of Easter. Jesus dove in head first on Good Friday and entered into the reality of our sin by taking our sin upon him. And yet he, in his power and strength, pulled us out of sin. He dragged us out of sin, which is the power of the resurrection, the power of a living Jesus. This is good news. This is of what is first importance to us as human, in all of human history. This is what's of first importance. You know what's of first importance today? It's not even that we're going to hear that we found a cure for COVID. It's not that we're going to have our isolation ended. It's not that the government's going to make some wide claims and give us all that we need or that the sports leagues are going to come back one day. Here's the greatest of first news of, most of first importance is this, is that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins in accordance with the scriptures, confirmed by the word of God. He was buried. He was raised. On the third day, he rose again. Again, look at it twice. In accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. How do we know this is for, for in fact real, the fact that Jesus is alive? It's in accordance with the scriptures. The scriptures confirm it. It's confirmed through the word of God. The Bible teaches it and assures us it's not just a fairy tale we believe or a whim. It is, in fact, true. How do we know the Bible is true? How do we know this, this book is leading us on the right path? Well, interesting question. This text of Paul writing of Jesus' resurrection was actually written between 25 and 50 years of the actual event, which is significant in the fact that how did the world know things were actually happening in history? Well, the, the length of time between the time something happened and the time that, that something was written about it is a good indication. This is only 25 to 50 years after the resurrection. Paul wrote this, showing us that it's, it's probably true. And compare that with the fact that Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, which happened in 50 BC, 
The earliest surviving manuscript is, is, was found 900 years, was written 900 years later in, in the 9th century AD, a 900 year time gap. Even by secular standards, the scriptures confirm that this is true. This is of first importance, so much so that God made it clear to us and preserved and confirmed his word in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, the whole Bible points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Old Testament spoke of the suffering of Jesus, as we learned on Good Friday, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At first glance of the Old Testament, you read it, you might not pick up all the nuances of how the, the resurrection is, is, is very clear in the, New Test, in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, use of the Old Testament, and the fact that Jesus did arise from the dead, points back to the fact that it is, it is seen throughout the whole Bible. The resurrection of Christ is seen from the whole Bible, Old Testament, as confirmed in the New Testament. Jesus and Peter and Paul all quoted Old Testament passages regarding the work of Christ and his resurrection, such as Psalm 16, Isaiah 53. Jesus himself in Matthew 12 said, hey, remember Jonah, remember Jonah? That was all foreshadowing the fact that he was swallowed by a whale, spent three nights in that belly, only to be spit out. That was showing the reality of the fact that the Messiah was going to come and get swallowed up by death, spend three nights in the grave, only to rise again one day. It's clear in the Old Testament, as you see it from the vantage point of a living Savior, that God was pointing to that fact from a long time ago. New Testament, the Gospels record what happened. It's Jesus' living proof. Here's, here's what happened. Jesus died and rose again. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Mark Luke, and John, uh, captured the event from eyewitness accounts. The rest of the New Testament is living in light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and in light of his imminent return to the world. Uh, a living Savior is coming back. Jesus Christ is in fact... I say, in fact, because it's a fact, not fiction, truly alive. It's confirmed through the word of God. And it's also confirmed through the witnesses that were there to give a firsthand account. Oftentimes I hear people say to me, well, prove it. Prove that Jesus is, is, rose from the dead. You weren't there. You don't know. You're right. I wasn't there. And so, but, but, but does that mean I can't know? I wasn't at the World Series last year. I know it happened because of firsthand eyewitness accounts who brought it to our living room through cameras. I didn't happen to be there when... Um, Sir Frederick Banting found the invention for insulin. And yet it was well documented and the, there's living proof to this day that that did happen. The ongoing effects of it are real. The same is with Jesus Christ. We maybe weren't there, but it was confirmed by people who were, were there and the ongoing effects of Jesus are pronounced in the world around us. Look at the text here. Eyewitness accounts you don't think it's just one guy's word for it. Look at all the people that Jesus appeared to. He appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? He's Peter. First apostle to see Jesus. He appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to the 12. His disciples. Well, wasn't Judas already dead by that point? Is that really accurate? The 12? Well, the 12 were known as kind of like the street gang. The street gang name. They were known as the 12. So even though Judas wasn't a part of it at that time, it still gives credence to the fact that his disciples saw him alive. In fact, he... he came through a wall and appeared to them and he let them put their fingers through his hands and their hand through his sides. He ate with them and I don't know about you, but no mirage or no dream can finish up the snack that you had on the table. Jesus was in fact truly there living with them. He appeared to the 12 and that wasn't good enough. He appeared to 500 brothers in one time, most of all whom are still alive who give account to this, but some who've fallen asleep or died. 
In other words, he appeared to 500 people at once that we couldn't say, well, that just maybe happened to a couple people. Well, was it really true? Maybe then people think, well, maybe they just made it up. The 500 people came together, made up this great big plot and how they're going to keep this conspiracy going for real. I don't know about you, but I couldn't keep a straight story with my three buddies in high school when we get caught on things. Someone would squeal. Someone would, would give it up. Someone would mess up somewhere along the way. Can you imagine 500 of your closest friends trying to keep a secret? Just not going to happen. Proof that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. Then he appeared to James. Why does it mention James here? This is Jesus' half-brother. If anyone's not going to allow their, this gig to keep going on, it's a little brother like, you know, forget that, man. I'm going to out you or a big brother. Who do you think you are? James, who actually didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah until he was raised from the dead and confronted him face to face, who went on to lead the church of Jerusalem and, and most probably wrote the book of James. James, living proof that his, even his half-brother was changed by the fact that he was alive. Last of all, as to one untimely born, this is talking about Paul himself, who was, by his consideration, not worthy to even know that Jesus was alive. He was the one who formerly was named Saul, remember him, who was persecuting Christians and actually trying to oppose the fact that Jesus was doing what he was doing and trying to rid the earth of Jesus. Then after Jesus died and was, rose again, he met him on the road to Damascus and the bright light came and all of a sudden uh, Saul, who's like antagonist to Jesus, all of a sudden met the living Jesus. His life was changed 180 and all of a sudden he wasn't trying to beat down the reality of the disciples. He was actually joined the ranks and of what, advent, uh, what advantage to him? None. He then was ridiculed and chased out of towns and lived a tough life, but he was convinced that Jesus Christ was real. He was the least of the apostles that was changed by the reality of a living God, a living Savior. Nothing to gain for Paul, but everything to lose, and yet he, his whole life was changed. And get this, brothers and sisters, get this, friends who are watching you with us, this really happened. Forget your conspiracy theories. Uh, take off your skeptic glasses. Just know this, the evidence is here. There is only one person who's ever risen from the dead, Jesus Christ himself, he's alive. It's true, it's real, and the implications are far-reaching, not just for believers who've bought in already, but for every single soul who's ever walked on the planet and whoever will. The implications are so real. The text goes on to show us the how vast the implications of this really are. In fact, in the next few verses, verses 12 to 19, we see the reality that if Jesus were still dead, we are all in dire straits. If Jesus were still dead, we are all in dire straits. That's the point of verses 12 to 19. Verses 1 to 11, make no doubt about it. All kinds of people are... confirm it. The scriptures affirm it. Jesus Christ is alive. And if he is not alive... We're all in trouble. We're all up the creek without a paddle. We're all in a sinking ship in the middle of the ocean. We're all in the Titanic thinking that all is good and we've mastered the world only to find that it's gonna hit an iceberg and everything is gonna sink within seconds in our lives. Verses 12 to 19 in the text here is a group of six ifs. If Jesus is not alive, then. If Jesus is still dead, then here's our reality of humanity as humanity. And it doesn't paint a sweet picture. 
Look what it says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is still no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even a Christ has been raised. Here's the deal. If Jesus is still dead, Christ is powerless. He has, in fact, not been raised from the dead. If this didn't happen the way the Bible says it happened, then what does that make of Jesus? He's just another celebrity who made maybe a quick, a quick hit on the world and then made an untimely exit like so many others. He's just another good guy who made a little bit of a difference while on the earth, but he wasn't the powerful God he claimed to be. He's still dead like every other human being that has come before us and every human being that's going to come after us, the, the fate that we're going to come up against. Christ is powerless. He didn't live up to his hype. He didn't live up to his miracles or his message. His whole personhood revolves around the fact that he was going to rise again. Think of this. If he's not alive, then our worship is useless. Our prayers are just talking to the sky and talking to our imaginary friend. Our relationship with God is non-existent. We're left to our own devices to try and figure out this world and, and find meaning and purpose for ourselves. We know how that turns out. We've watched other people around us do that for centuries. It never turns out well. We don't find what we're looking for. There is no son of God to be all that he is and all that we need him to be. Christ is powerless. Look what it goes on to say. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is also in vain. And our faith is in vain. In other words, the Bible is pointless. If Jesus is still dead, we may as well all go home. This whole book revolves around the fact that Jesus actually lived and, and conquered the grave. There's a point in telling people there's a God out there who loves them and there's a way to live that God designed for us and we go after his ways. It's a meaningly, meaningless book filled with some advice that may or may not prove fruitful in the end. We may as well line up this book on the bookshelves of every other book we've ever bought, including our children's books. The word, it says here, if Jesus isn't alive, the preaching of God's word, the proclamation of God's word is in vain. It's not a living and active word, as Hebrews 4 says. It's not God-breathed, as 1 Corinthians 3.13 says. There's just a good book with some solid history in it. Think about this, if Jesus isn't alive and this book is pointless, then there's no absolute truth in the world. There's no moral compass. There's no way to God. I'm wasting my breath. And you may as well be gardening right now. Instead of learning of the amazing truths of the fact that Jesus is alive, notice what it says also here, that faith is meaningless. Our faith is meaningless. Your faith is futile. And you're still in your own sins if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. In other words, in other words, there really isn't a God. And if there is, he's not on the throne. And there's no God to look after us. We have no faith in a creator and a sustainer and, and one who's going to come back in the future and, and set everything right. There's... No faith to believe that God's over everything and there's even meaning in our suffering as we're, a lot of us are going through right now with the situation in the world. That God isn't actually working out all things for his good purposes. If Jesus is dead, then so does our assurance of his words and his goodness and his rule. And 
See what else it says here in verse, the next verse? Jesus is still dead, then death is the end. And those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished, like they're just done. It's over. Cease to exist. There's no point in us gathering for funerals and talking about a better place or being in the loving arms of our Savior. There's no reunions to look forward to with God or with others. Basically, the fate of every person in history then is to get lumped in a big box and have six strong men drop them in a hole and to spend an eternity pushing up daisies as a living. Come on, even the unbeliever wants there to be something beyond this life, but if Jesus isn't alive, then let's stop talking about it and thinking about it because it just can't be true. Sin wins. There's no restoration to God. There's no hope of a better existence. This is as good as it gets, brothers and sisters, and it's not bad, but there's got to be something beyond this. Look at the last one here. Hope has vanished. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, for we are of people most to be pitied. There's no hope. There's just a little bit of hope in this life, but what's that? We're the people to be pitied the most. There's no hope in this life. There's no hope that God is with me. There's no hope that there's promises to carry me. There's no hope of the presence of a divine being loving us and caring for us and carrying us through. There's no hope. No relationship with Christ. We're to be pitied. We're to be laughed at and made fun of as maybe we are in some ways. We'd be locked up in a straitjacket and put in a loony institution. But we have no reason to hope for our leader is dead just like everybody else. Do you realize that there's massive implications? Even for you religious people who believe God lived but he didn't rise from the grave. There's massive implications that we can't ignore if, if Jesus did not rise from the grave. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 is a key one because it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In other words, because Christ has been raised from the dead, all those things that, 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 are, that are on the screen in front of you right now, the five ramifications of a dead Jesus, they're in fact not true. In other words, the opposite of them can be absolutely trusted and as completely true. Christ is powerful and has overcome everything, including death. The Bible is not pointless. It's a life-transforming book that makes all the difference in the world. Our faith is not meaningless. It actually gives our lives the actual meaning that God intended for us. Death is not the end. It's just the beginning. Hope has not vanished. Hope reigns supreme in every circumstance, in every season, over every culture, over every decade of human life, hope is reign supreme. Even in 2020, amidst a COVID pandemic on the earth, we still have a reason to hope. There is a living Lord presiding over it all, actively engaged in the world and caring for the lives of his people. Jesus Christ paved the way for us to know life that was truly life. That's his resurrection. 
The five ramifications of a dead Jesus are gone. You can take your, you can take your if, you can put it in a garbage bag, you can take your doubt and throw it in there with it, you can take it out to the curb, you can drop it there and believe it's not an if, it's a but because. Jesus has paved the way for us to actually know the true fullness of life. One of my favorite Easter stories comes from Max Licato in his um, book, Six Hours, One Friday. He tells a story of a missionary uh, who was in Brazil and he discovered, discovered a tribe of natives that were in a remote part of the jungle. And uh, quite interesting, I chose this illustration because it really applies to our day too. There, there, was a, there was a contagious disease ravaging their village. And people were dying left and right and the missionary uh, who was there was, was, was realizing that this, this disease was ravaging their village but it didn't have to because it was a curable disease that they didn't know about. And across the river from the village, you know, a short walk away and across a pretty significant river, across the river was a, a, a hospital that could take care of every single one of the natives and their illness. And this disease could be stopped in an instant if they would just cross the river. The problem was that the natives believed that there was an evil spirit in the river and to enter into the river would be sure death. And so the missionary tried to tell them, I, I know this illness, I know this disease, and don't worry, like if you just come across the river with me, we can get you to help and get you, get you all the, the help you need. That this, this doesn't have to be any longer. But the, the, the natives would, would look at him with this kind of you know, weird look, and they're like, there's no, there's no way that this is true. There's, there's evil spirits that are going to cause our death. The missionary pleaded with them, knowing what was at stake. He's like, but, but trust me, I've been across the river. They're like, mm, we don't trust you. He took the whole village to the river bank, and he put his feet and he said, look, nothing's, nothing's happening. Look, look. And they're just like, no, oh, I'm still not sure. He got down there, he kind of put some water in his face and he kind of splashed around a little bit and they're like, you know, it's a little more convincing, but like, uh, we're not buying it. Fun of exasperation, here's what the missionary did. He dove headfirst into the river and he swam across and he came out and he pumped his fist out the other side as he climbed off the bank. And the whole village started to cheer with celebration and excitement that yes, it's true, the disease can be conquered and they could have life. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us in going into the river of death only to come out the other side, first person in history, to come out the other side and say, actually, it's true, there is hope on the other side of the river. There is help on the other side. Jesus paved the way for us and leads us to a fullness of, of life. And because Jesus lives on, we have cause to always celebrate. We always have cause to celebrate. Because Jesus lives on, we always have cause to celebrate. That's what the next section of this passage talks about. It talks about the cause we have to celebrate. We, we like the natives, can, can thrust our arms in the air and say, yes, it's been defeated, it's been conquered. What's the great disease? The great disease is sin. It's been defeated, it's been conquered. I just have to follow Jesus into the river and he'll get me to the other side. Because Jesus lives on, we always have cause to celebrate. Look at verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Jesus Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and in his coming those who belong to Christ, and comes to the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put, on, put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. 
But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is, he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, God, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I think those few things about the ramifications of Jesus being dead are serious and significant. Consider these realities with me. The, the, the truths that are alive because Jesus is in fact living today. Look at some of these things in these few verses. Because Jesus is alive, we have reason to celebrate. Number one, because eternal life is for real. Eternal life is for real. Look at verse 20. But Christ has been raised. In fact, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's the first fruits? It's an Old Testament concept of the, the cream of the crop, the first fruits of the, the, the harvest, the, the, the first to be brought in, the best of the crop. He's the first fruits of the living. The first fruits in the sense of family were um, the first fruit was their son was the first fruit, the firstborn, got the, all the rights and all the blessings. Well, Jesus Christ is the first fruit of the living. In other words, he's the cream of the crop. He gets all the rights and privileges and blessings of the Father uh, apart from everybody else. And because he is alive, he shows us that we too can live. We too can live. There is life after death. He's the first fruit, the first one to be risen from the grave. And because he's been risen from the grave, all those who put their hope in him can also be risen from the grave when that time comes. It shows us there is life after death. It's not that we cease to exist. It's not that we don't come back in a higher, lower cast of life due to how we well or not while we live this life. It doesn't mean that we are reincarnated and come back as a, as a butterfly. Just for the record, who wants to come back as a butterfly and have some little kid grab you and pull your wings off? Not me. We don't just float throughout space in this invisible realm watching over all of our loved ones and somehow being active in all the anniversaries and all the birthday parties. It means there's actually a physical, living reality that we all face at the end of this life. There is eternal life. It's for real. The Bible teaches us that there's two places that we have the potential of going when this life is over. There's heaven and there's hell. Real places that we spend eternity in. Jesus' invitation to follow him into the river is to find the place of the living in heaven with him, not the place of eternal separation in hell apart from God forever. Jesus' resurrection, though, proves that eternal life is for real. It also proves that the curse of sin has been broken. See what it says here? For as by a man came death, who's that man? It's Adam. Remember Adam? He brought sin into the world because he sinned, Adam and Eve. And we come from Adam and Eve, every one of us. And so we all have the DNA of Adam and Eve. We're all sinners by nature. It's, it's who we are. So we inherited Adam's sin, but we also made the choice to sin along with him. So don't pin it all on Adam. But through him came death. That's the consequences of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequences of that sin is, the wages of that sin is death. So because we bear the likeness of Adam, because we've sinned, death is upon us. That's sin is a cause of death. But a man has come also, but a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. By a man has also come resurrection from the dead. In other words, so one man brought sin and death. Well, that's not fair. Well, one man brought forgiveness in life that's Jesus Christ let's not wall the fact that we're sinners let's look at the fact that Christ God has offered us salvation an opportunity to reverse the curse and salvation in Jesus Christ one man brought death Jesus Christ one man by his gift the gift of God one man brought life truth of the matter is we're all born into sin it's like when we were born when we were born into this world we 
have the propensity to sin. And it's like we were born in a bubble, apart from God. We are secluded from God. We don't know all the goodness of God, the fullness of God, and yet he's our heavenly father. He created us. He loves us. He's looking down upon us, and somehow we live our lives separated from him forever because of sin, that big bubble of sin that we're, we're, we're in. So we don't know God. He doesn't really interact with us, but he's longingly in heaven looking at us, longing for us to be in a relationship with him. And when Jesus came, here's what he did. He burst the bubble of sin that a living God could forgive us of our sin, take that separation away, that he could love us and do life with us and celebrate the victories and be there in the defeats. The bubble is gone and we can truly live a life of freedom that he intended us to live with him. Doesn't just go on there, the good news gets better. Jesus forever ours because we know now that not only are did he come to give us resurrection from the dead? And Adam all died, but each one, also in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit. So Christ is going to come first. Get this. We also learn that Jesus is going to come back for his own. Each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. We covered that. That at his coming, he, because he's alive, we can be sure that he's coming back for all those who belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come back for his own. In other words, God loves us too much. Jesus loves us too much to leave us here stranded on Sin Island. Oh, come on, it's not that bad, the world. No, it's not that bad. There's common grace. There's some good things in this world that we're blessed with. But the reality is, is that it's not the place that our souls long for. There's still in this world dysfunction, disease, dastardly deeds. I don't know about you, but I get tired of seeing it all. Like, it's overwhelming sometimes. We're like, is there nothing greater? Here's the reality. Because Jesus is alive, he assures there is something greater, and he's going to come back and take all those who are his to join him in the greater place, the paradise that we all long for, that is going to be our reality in heaven for those who trust in Jesus Christ, who repent of their sins and by faith put their hope in Jesus. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3 assures us of this. It says this, let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, this is a good message for you today. And all that's going on in COVID-19 and in your little world, let not your hearts be troubled, troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? In other words, I'm not going to lie to you. Jesus doesn't lie to us. God doesn't lie. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that amazing? Here's the order. Jesus is going to be raised first, which he was. Then he's going to come back and get his own. It says in 1 Thessalonians, it's going to be a trumpet sound. Like, uh, unbeknownst to us, there's signs at the ends of the times. You can read those in Matthew and throughout the Bible. But it's going to be a trumpet. It's going to go off. And all of a sudden, like, all the believers are going to be gone. They're going to be raptured with Jesus. He's going to come bursting through the clouds, as Revelation tells us, in his, on his white horse. And he's going to triumph. He's going to gather his people. He's going to go. And his people, if you know Jesus, you're going to have a reservation in heaven, secure, can't be backed out of, can't be canceled. It's, it's there, and you're going to enjoy your eternity with Jesus forever. And at the same time, though, he's going to judge the rest of the world, going to judge the living and the dead. And if your name is not in the book of life, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your seat is actually reserved in a place called hell, apart from God forever. Jesus is coming back to gather his own and judge the world based on not how good or bad you are, how many times you went to church, how many Easter's you covered, but... What you did with Jesus, you trust in him to forgive you of your sins and carry you out of the sand, the, the quicksand of sin. He's the only one that can do it if you trusted him. Shows us that Jesus is coming back for his own. Shows us also that Jesus is going to come back and, and 
entering the age of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 24. God's kingdom is coming. This is all proven true by the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus rose again. We know that all these things are true. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. In other words, Jesus is going to come and he's going to destroy everything that is evil. He's going to take the enemy out. He's going to take the enemy out once and for all. And for that, we can say amen. He's going to come and enter in and usher in the kingdom of God. It says in Revelation chapter 20, there's going to be a thousand year reign of God on this earth in which he pins down Satan and shows him who's boss. Kind of like a big brother and a little brother, you know? I'm going to show you who's boss. Say uncle, say uncle. I'm not going to say uncle. So after the thousand years, he lets him up. Give him one more last shot to say uncle, of which we know Satan's not going to. He's the rebellious one who just wants to, to ruin, uh, ruin God's kingdom and ruin our lives. And so God's going to finally, you know, through Jesus, Jesus is finally through God's power, going to put him down once and for all and kick him into the lake of fire along with all those who follow after him. He's going to defeat Satan. In other words, He's going to conquer him. He's going to put an end to all the evil. He's going to put a stop to all the wars and all the dissension that comes into our lives and all the crime and all the suffering. He's going to put an end to all those things. And ultimately, he's going to defeat death. He's going to reign and put all his enemies under his feet. Picture feet up, enemies as a footstool. Isn't that kind of cruel? That's showing the power and the sovereignty of God, of Jesus Christ. The last enemy is death. Isn't that the one we all want conquered anyways? We're trying so hard to like figure out how to avoid death and how to live longer and we, we can't seem to figure it out. You know why? Because Jesus ultimately is going to figure that out one day and he's going to conquer it for us. You know why? Because God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Can you imagine that? Death is going to be done. No more funerals, no more sorrow, no more illness and decaying. Like that's going to be a good day that we are confident of because Jesus is alive today reigning in glory. Death will be defeated. And then it says here that Jesus is going to take control. In other words, God's going to give him control. See this? All things are going to be put in subjection to Jesus. It is plain that he's expected, accept, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection to him. In other words, when, when, when this whole end thing comes down, God's going to look to Jesus and give him full authority over everything. It's, it's like a, a, a dad passing down the company to a, a son. Jesus, the son of God, is going to be given all reign and all authority of everything on this whole planet. He's going to be granted the keys to control the whole universe and everything in it. It's in his blood. It's in his lineage. In fact, he is the only one qualified and capable to ever run the universe. And so God's going to give it to the only one, give it to Jesus, the only one capable of even accomplishing anything in the first place, and the only one that can get the job done. Jesus told his disciples this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Before he left, he said this, hey, all authority has already been given to me in heaven and on earth by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion is Jesus Christ. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus is already, already ruling the universe. That, that his name's been exalted to the highest place. That every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow to the resurrected Savior. Some willfully, and those, ones are gonna, those people are going to enjoy Jesus forever. As they willfully say, God, you are the son of God, Jesus. And I surrender and I give you my life. Forgive me for my sins. I want to by faith follow you. Those are going to be with Jesus forever. And those who choose not to, God is going to make them bow. Jesus is going to make them bow and he's going to bend their knee. But make no doubt about it, 
all things are going to be bowed to Jesus. The question is, will we willingly bow? Or will we stubbornly refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ? He's alive. The book is true, it is written. How will you respond to Jesus today? How will you respond to the living Lord today? Here's the last truth that we see in here. Ultimately, God will rule supreme. See what it says here? Even after Jesus has everything, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to God who put all things in subjection under him. So, so God's going to put him in subjection to Jesus. Jesus is going to fall under God. That ultimately God may be all in all. That ultimately what's going to happen is God is going to be the king of kings. He's going to live on his throne. It's unmovable. It's unstoppable. It's unconquerable. We will one day finally have the perfect government that we all long for. It'll be God reigning forever in glory with his people at his his side all of these things we know are true because of the reality that God sent his very own son to testify to these truths to demonstrate these truths through his life death and resurrection everything of Jesus life points to the eternal rule of God from before time began now and forevermore this these are the realities of a living God Oh my goodness, you thought you were coming here for a boring Easter service. Doesn't that make you want to stand up and shout? Go ahead, man. You can stand up and shout in your house all you want. Like, stand up and shout. Does it make you want to worship? Go ahead and worship. This is what Easter is all about. Jesus is alive. Here's the truth. Today's forecast is, maybe you find it cheesy. I find it fantastic. Today's forecast is one little thing I read uh, this week says, God reigns and his sun shines forever. Every single day, God reigns and his sun shines forever. This Easter Sunday, here's the application. It's very simple. Just acknowledge that this is God's truth. Just affirm in your heart right now that Jesus is God's son. Make it your point today to abide in Jesus Christ. Get on your knees and worship. Let your heart go to an elevated place of adoration of Jesus. Let your, let your emotions be overcome with the reality that your God lived on this earth and died for your sins and rose again. And he is living. No other God in the universe. There's only one God. He is living. Your God is living today. Let your mind and let your emotions, let your will all be encapsulated by this truth today. God is alive. Tell him how thankful you are. Tell someone else, the text or a phone call or on Facebook, that God's alive. And here's how you know. Confirmed by his word, affirmed by witnesses. All the truths are right here for us. Thank Jesus that Easter is not just a turning point in history, it's a turning point of every life who will turn to him. Acknowledge God's truth, affirm God's son, abide in Jesus Christ today. If you don't know Jesus, this is God's mercy and grace to you that you're here online. Maybe you've never been to church before, maybe it's the first time you're hearing this. Maybe there's something inside you right now that's just welling up. You're like, man, I want this to be true. That's the Holy Spirit calling you right now. That's that's God opening your eyes to truth and giving you belief to hear and understand. Here's the truth for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you've never really acknowledged that, that there's a living God who loves you intimately and died for you on the cross, took your place, and then rose again and, and went through the river for you that you might also come out the other side in hope and healing, here's the truth. Just get on your knees right now. 
And it's not even a hard thing. It's just like, God, I believe that you are real. I want Jesus to be real in my life. Oh, I want life. Oh, I want hope. Oh, I want God's presence and promises and power. Oh, I want to make it through this life knowing there's someone overarchingly guiding my life and guiding circumstances. Oh, I want to see God one day. I want to be with Jesus forever. There's only two options. There's only two options, friends. It's with Jesus in heaven or it's in hell with the enemy. One is glorious and great. One is eternal bliss. One is, is horrible and, and, and hell. It is true hell. It's, it's the absence of everything good, the absence of God. It's choosing to stay on one side of the river and die by the plague of sin instead of simply diving in and following Jesus to the other side to get up and raise your fist triumphantly that you can live. You don't know Jesus today, just stop and say a little prayer. God, I believe. Forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life. Give me faith. Confirm yourself right now in my life. A living Lord will do that to every sincere heart that seeks Him because He loves you and because He loves affirming to the world that He is in fact alive. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this Easter message. We thank you, God, that we can come and we can worship you. We can get our eyes fixed on Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, now would you take these truths that we've just heard from your word. Would you confirm them in our hearts, Lord? Your preaching this morning was not in vain. Father, would you draw us all, whether we're, we've been saved for a long time, we know Jesus Christ, whether we've just heard for the first time or anything in between, God, draw us to a deeper revelation of Jesus Christ to a greater faith, to a greater understanding of the glory of a risen Jesus. Do this, I pray God, for your name and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.